Welcome to PT Shop Talk, where two guys talk about therapy, sports, music, and everything in between. Remember, this podcast represents the opinions of the host and their guests to the show. Content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is a unique snowflake, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. We make every effort to ensure that the information we share is accurate, and we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of error. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including, but not limited to, establishing standard of care in a legal sense or basis of expert witness testimony. Now, here's your hosts, Nick Doling and Casey Hansen. Welcome, everybody. The PT Shop Top Podcast. I'm Casey Hansen. Across from me, the always optimistic Nick Doling. I hear Good morning, you. Casey. Good morning. I hear we have some gale force winds out there. Not quite. Not quite as bad as it's been, but he's <laughs> yeah. a windy one down here. Yeah, I sit in my little bunker here at my, my studio, so I, I never even really know how loud it is out there. I do, I do leave the studio, I guess. I have a real life, but can't tell right now how windy it is Uh, i've been upgrading my studio lately i have a new chair a little more comfy a little more comfy it's got a little rock to it i like that or a desk as well because i currently am operating on my wife's grandfather great grandfather's writing desk from back in the day Mm. very good he doesn't have any carvings in there, does he? <laughs> no. Uh, stains, lots of coffee stains. Uh, but people were smaller back then, so like I can't mm-hmm. even fit under it. So I have to be yep. like two feet away from it because my legs don't fit under it. So needs an upgrade. Um, I went uh, to the local Office Depot, Office Max. I'm not sure what it is. Yep. Didn't have anything I like, so I said, well, like everything I do, I'm just going to order from Amazon. And... Oh. Uh, yeah, we're sitting around Sunday. They're like, oh, your desk has been delivered. Wander yeah. outside to find my desk. Zero desk. So I'm in the process mm. of finding my desk. I don't know if you've ever had anything lost in the mail. No. No, we haven't really had That's that right. happen. Um, not for quite a while, which is amazing because we order so much, especially around the holidays. We order so many things. You know what? You're talking about desks and that... You know, obviously your grandfather didn't carve anything in there. That must have been, that must have came around in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Because like every desk in Carrington had like the band Kiss carved in the <laughs> side of it or something. Yeah. You know? and yeah, that was a big. I other profanities. <laughs> we went obviously to other schools for like recitals and things. And I think it was rugby where there was a kid in a class below me carved i believe it was either his initials or maddock into their piano yeah they were not Show happy about that <laughs> our, our school had a bad reputation and it was warranted completely bad boys in north dakota where okay was maddock were you guys as far as like you guys did football a while back were you guys like a co-op with anybody Mm, not when I was around, other than track, I guess Leeds and Maddock. Um, Leeds and Maddock. And now Leeds and Maddock are co-op for everything. But when I was there, it was just Maddock. Try not to yeah. try not to invite them to the school. That was what other schools' philosophy was. Yeah, yeah. We were, just wondering. Interesting stuff. 
we were definitely the annoying school. So we had a lot of inappropriate <laughs> cheers. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you were alone there. We were pretty obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. We had a fan base that famously got banned from a bunch of hotels in Minot, <laughs> like a 95 state wrestling tournament. So. Uh, state basketball was always a jam. That was, I have fond memories of that. Yeah. Yeah. Where do they host that in North Dakota now? Is it at one location? I think it rotates all the time. Does it? Yeah. My my favorite experience was also in Minot. Yeah. We growing up, it was like Minot. They'd rotate between Minot and Bismarck, and Fargo was never in the picture. I think it was just too far east. And then by the time some point along the way, when my brother was in high school, I loved it. They started shifting it to Fargo. And now Fargo really just owns the state wrestling tournament. They yeah. kind of half off the dome and, and they do a great job. There's all the amenities, you know, but um, can't compete with mine on February, man. <laughs> just brutal up there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can little, agree little with that. Little rinky dink dome and but good memories. I mean, that's what, that's what it's about anyways, right? Yeah, I always thought it was good for basketball. It was like a good size. Because, you know, sometimes they do state basketball at um, the Shack or um, up in Grand Forks there on the Betty. And it's just too big oh, yeah. of it. You know, just too big of a venue. I don't know. Yeah. It feels well, empty. It's kind of how football, like state football at the Dome just feels it's cool for the kids. But it's dude, also like pin drop quiet in there. It's like here in, here in Minnesota, we've had <clears throat> some really good teams around this area like Mediota. Basso in the past actually played each other um, for a title. Um, but that's really cool. So I was watching the Class A championship game a few years back. They always do it the Friday after Thanksgiving. And they host it in the U.S. Bank Stadium. So they pan in, like, comes back from commercial break and pan into, like, the Wabasso fan base. And, and it's like you can see, like, three rows of people. And you're like, oh, cool. Looks pretty. Looks pretty. Uh, looks like they brought a lot of people there. Kind of <laughs> up. And then they, then they show like an aerial view from like the top of the stadium and it's like dead empty because it's made for about 70,000 people. Yeah, and you put about, between both teams, there's like 2,000 people there. <laughs> do they do anything like put up curtains, curtain off things, or they just leave it wide open? Um, I don't, you know, outside of football, um, I don't know. Never yeah. really, I've gone to a concert there one time, but. Um, which would be a story for another top five. I gotta, you know, have that in there. Top five concert experiences. We're gonna, we're gonna delve into sometime down the road. But might be a lot of street dances on my list. Johnny Holmes, Johnny street. Holmes, Johnny Holmes, <laughs> Johnny Holmes, uh, Firehouse. All right, I might have to add some criteria so that we get, <laughs> we get you out of the streets and and uh, delve into that creative mind a little bit. I because I too have seen Johnny Holmes many times, but I don't know if he cracks my top five. Oh, yeah, spoilers. Whoa. It's a different type of experience, I suppose. Yeah, always had fun. Yes. Awesome. Well, how was your weekend? Uh, good, good. Can't complain. I had to go shopping uh, for new shoes for my son, which in and of itself is an experience. I decided to take both my children. Uh, my daughter is. Like a Tasmanian devil. So it's always little concerning when I take them both in public by myself, but I thought I'd give my wife a break. Um, she's just the, the master mom and she just needs a time off once in a while. So went to Shields. That was uh, the first call. I figured try the shoe thing, but there's tons of other stuff in Shields for the kids to do. So 
a spectacular fail. Man, my, my son's like a 13 and a half, which is like an odd shoe size. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's right there before they just, just the, go hit bigger. the young boys. I mean, just go bigger. I mean, that's how my parents weren't you raised that way? I mean, my, my parents were always like, you're gonna like I never had a pair of shoes that really fit, except for maybe a two or three month window at the mid mid point of their life. Yeah, <laughs> like, like once they were falling apart, they finally fit. Like they should be, you know, they should be about a size too big, and then you grow into them, and then eventually you wear them out. That's how I how I was raised. Well, and yeah, I, I I don't know if I remember that so much, but it's true. <laughs> like when I did pediatrics at the school, I mean, every kid had these huge floppy clown shoes on, and yeah. I just didn't want that for my son because I see him run around and he falls a lot. I think that's a byproduct. Yeah, that's, that's every kid, dude. <laughs> like just, we have, maybe he's just not coordinated. I don't know. No, it's like that's every kid. I wouldn't. So we told you. I think I told you in the past. Like you know, our son Gutter broke his radius like back in October, right? Yeah. And yeah, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> uh, he's got these bone cysts that are kind of slowing down the healing, and they're they're preventing him from being back to any sport for a while. And um, his doctor doesn't matter who it is. Really sharp guy out of sharp guy out of uh, Stanford in Sioux Falls. Um, he, he doesn't know what I do for a living, and I just kind of open up the opportunity for him to maybe do some PT uh, or some rehab for his for his yeah. uh, elbow, wrist, and hand because he came out of a cast. He wasn't using it at all, and and he goes, "Oh no, these kids are their own best therapist." You know, they'll, they'll start moving it on his own. And he's, he's not entirely wrong. However, like, I'm like, how much time have you ever spent with a kid? I didn't say this to him. I'm just talking about this <laughs> because we're so passive aggressive anyways. Right? And I'm like, any kid under like 10 is just falling all the time. And now in the time since then, every time he wipes out, which happens like daily, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm like, yeah, he's his own best therapist. That's for sure. You know? Yeah, really. Really protecting it in a graded exposure manner. Oh my god, it's a miracle he hasn't rebroken a bunch of times over. And um, yeah, so I, I just think I don't know if it's the shoe thing. Maybe I mean you're you're probably right. It probably contributes a little bit more to it. But good god, we just had this. Well, he turned seven this last week and had a big Pokemon party. And uh, yeah, tip of the cap to Pikachu right there in your mug. And. <sighs> There's just kids like they're running around screaming. It was it was a really loud party, but we were totally cool with it. It's like a bunch of seven or seven year old boys. What do you expect? But there's kids wiping out, spilling every like upstairs, downstairs, going up the stairs. It just didn't matter. So I, I just think they they take a while to grow in those frames. Yeah, it's it's just want to give him every chance I can to succeed. But on on the other end of the yeah. spectrum, he's like this sensory kid, so. Oh, like yeah. anything on his body drives him insane. So we do have to buy large shoes for him. Um, but I want to find this nice mix of like, not so big. They're like falling off his feet, but every kid shoe too nowadays is like elastic. Like they have laces, but they're just not, you don't tie them. You just slip them on. They're fake. Yeah. Dry, yeah right. Um, way cooler than the Velcros I used to wear as a kid. Um, crossed them into an X. That was sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my son it drives him insane they're way too tight on his feet even if they're a size and a half too big the length isn't the problem the top sits too tight on him 
So to find like a pair of kid shoes that ties now at that size, not that easy. Unless you want to go for like the ninety dollar, uh, you know, Jordans. You can. <laughs> yeah, there's you can. a market out there. Uh, it's surprising. I went to Foot Locker. Uh, lots, lots of kid shoes that were more expensive than the shoes I wear. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unbelievable. But like I said, there's a market. I I've noticed it more and more with the students I take. Sneakers have become such a big thing. Like yeah. I I bought my first pair of like fancy designer sneakers. Uh, I had a student that convinced me it was an event because you have to like go on and register for these websites and you know, the, the shoes drop and you have to register to get a chance to buy the shoe, right? Like you don't even, it's not like you're registering to win the shoe. It's like, we'll give you the opportunity to buy this shoe. That's that is really intensive. Yeah, so I went on and I bought this pair of shoes I had my eye on because it's one nice thing about being an adult with a decent I, I job. See, is I gotta see these shoes. You just I mean you're <laughs> buy things you want. But yeah, it was like they had all these sellers on this pair of shoes. And when I bought it, they were like, Well, would you like them verified? <laughs> Do I have to verify their shoes? because uh, apparently there's lots of fakes out there. So like you, they, the seller has to send the shoe to this company to verify that the shoe is actually the shoe you bought and not a cheaper buy. Wow. You know, it comes with these big clunky, reminds me of like the old Beanie Baby tags, like hard plastic case. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, this is Did you shoe. name it? So you named your shoe? Yeah. Uh, Tinky Winky. They are purple. Tinky Winky. <laughs> yeah. I, but now I'm afraid to wear them. Shoes. Like, it's well, yeah. I mean, don't you ever see if I were in your shoes, like I'm way too, I, I've learned this over the years too. I think I have way too dry of a sense of humor. And and then sometimes I lose that sense of humor too, but <laughs> it stays pretty dry. And I would be cracking down on that dress code, even if it was like just a total joke, just to mess with them. Like, especially if you're a college kid, you're dumping hundreds of dollars on a new pair of sneakers. Oh, I'd just love to have it in the clinic and be able to say, hey, by the way, you're you're not following our dress code. So we need you to go buy a pair of like nice wing tips or nice dress shoes. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you're fitting it. And then watch their face just get like super white. And, God, I hate Nick Dolan. What a jerk. <laughs> yeah. This is ruining my experience. So yeah, it's the the shoe market. That's a wild thing. I mean, I had students flip around and buy shoes for 200 bucks and sell them for 500 within like a week. It was crazy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Hey, so our main topic today is lumbar spine. Now we're, we're following up from last week and our overall like kind of theories and, and beliefs on it. Um, let's, I think we could segue into that thing. What, what, what contribution do you feel footwear makes to lumbar spine? Cause that's a little bit of a controversial topic. Because it's come and gone over the years. You got it. There's certainly a market for orthotics and specialized shoes. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, uh, I'm a guy who probably leans towards the, the less is more philosophy on all that stuff. Uh, I think an orthotics, not a bad thing. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely people that, I don't know, with back pain, I probably don't see it as much. Um, I can't say I'm just globally against orthotics, but 
I think it's like anything, you know, your, your feet hurt, your knees hurt, your hips hurt, your back hurt. You go in, you get an orthotic and, it, and typically it feels better for most people. Again, some of my patients, I can just tell they're just sensory people and they're going to hate an orthotic that doesn't let them move. Um, that would be me yeah. too. Uh, yeah. I like, I like almost zero support in my shoes. If you look at, at work, I wear just like these flat loafers that have you Nothing. do. You wear like slippers to to work. <laughs> yeah, that's dress code. They're 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 nice. <laughs> you got like the little moccasins. Yeah, they're like hard plastic on the bottom. There's yeah. zero support in them. <clears throat> um, no, no, you're you're in you're in compliance. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I've seen with orthotics, anyways, is that like whether it's for back or hip or knee or whatever is like people wear them. Right, they're they're supposed to get them changed out every i don't know six months a year like i said i don't order a lot of orthotics don't do a lot of orthotic work but like eventually people at least for my patients with persistent pain is eventually they get to the point where they're like oh man i don't know like we got a new orthotist or the company started making the same orthotic differently and it just doesn't work anymore and then they go and try to find new orthotics and, and they go through the rigmarole of like nothing feels like my original pair of orthotics I got that helped. And it's like, well, I think your original orthotics did the job of offloading you a little bit. And now here you are offloading in a certain way for years. And now that offloading no longer works. <laughs> um, it's like anything. We'll, we'll talk about posture. You know, you, yeah. you can avoid bad posture for a while and it feels good. But eventually if you have military posture 24 seven, that starts hurting. Um, mm -hmm. you can avoid bending, lifting, twisting for a while, but after yeah. a time, that's you making your pain worse again. I think orthotics yep. kind of fall into the same thing. Yeah. I, even when I was doing more of them, I went through a phase where I, I actually, uh, we had a good company called CJS labs that we take the molds and then shoot them out to them in fabrication, shoot them back, you know, and you do any retrimming and stuff. And they were a good product. They really were. And they had more of a flexible sole which kind of meets where some of the criteria I'd like to see. Um, but at the end of the day, I think even then I'd only really recommend that they'd wear them. Like if you're an adult, for sure, if you're an adult, wear them at work, wear them if you're more stationary or standing. But if you're still a weekend warrior, you like to, you know, play pick up game of basketball, you're in league sports, stuff like that. Just leave them out because your foot's meant to be flexible and, mm -hmm. and you know, you need some splay in your metatarsals. I, I, I kind of believe that. And for teenagers or youth as they're growing, I, I rarely ever actually uh, molded kids for those because I felt like their foot, they have so many other dynamics going on there. Um, it's more than likely not the main issue, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I know there's probably some people that would greatly disagree with that, but I think that, it, you know, the whole human body is built to be strong, but also flexible. And the foot needs to go through sequences of rigidity that it creates intrinsically, but then also um, periods in which, again, splay needs to happen. It needs to be flexible in order for you to safely absorb shock too. And the more you wedge things in there, you lose that ability to absorb shock. And did you just create an issue um, where you're creating more tendinopathies or stress fractures? So I think that there's a, there's a blend there you got to take into consideration um, with the person's lifestyle as well. Um, yeah, for yeah, for I me, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna suggest them, typically I'll do the off the shelf. Like if if you're gonna be on your feet all day, go ahead and try something with some support, some cushion in it, maybe just to see if yeah. it helps. You know, it's just so hard for me these orthotics now. 
and these customs that people are getting are 300 500 a thousand dollars those are tough for me to be like yeah go get that that'll yeah. and you know what's a ticket really interesting there's a there's a movement there's a company that has created now a device i'll just say the device that you slip around it's like it's like a kind of a, a thicker silicone that you it's like a bunch of rings you slip between your toes now and there's a little bit of a market in powerlifting and in crossfitting to have that. And, and it actually creates more splay and widens the forefoot out as you squat. And so, you're, so here you are going from one end to another because nobody's really figured out what, what works and what doesn't, you know. And a lot of those topics become controversial, like in, in Orthotic is, is very similar to like an Olympic lifting shoe that has like a, you know, it's a slam board built in basically a platform, you know, and even that gets very divisive because some people, some people can squat in them and it takes all their knee pain away and they sit, they allows them to be more vertical. So there's less strain on their lumbar spine or so taking those sheer forces away. And then other people absolutely refuse to, they think that that's compensating for, you know, issues at the, uh, you know, heel cord in your, in your ankle. So then they're they're all about, you know, squatting barefoot or squatting in chucks and, and um, you know what, to each his own. I mean, that, I think that's what, what, at the end of the day, you have, everybody's got a little different anatomy. So you just try to do the best as a therapist, you try to do the best you can with your recommendations, try to get them in the right, best position you can and, and let their body do what it needs to do but you can't fix everybody with the same magic wand. Oh, and I, and I think it's the message you give to people too. Um, I don't have the article in front of me and I don't remember what year it came out, but you know, it said you can change how people squat. You can change how people run. You can change how they lift. Um, but the truth of the matter is six months down the line, if you've taken their pain away, most, if not all of your patients return to their previous you fall habits, back if they're feeling mm-hmm. good. Right. Yeah. Um, years and years hey you know it's the the problem is we give them this message early on like oh you're squatting wrong that's why you hurt Mm -hmm. and then their pain goes away they fall into their old habits which is probably biomechanically how their body's most comfortable um they get hurt again they then they keep falling back on the i'm doing something wrong biomechanically in my life yeah it's creating pain all the time and that's probably not true it's you overloaded yourself or you did something too much, yeah. too fast. You know, it's typically just you didn't give your body time to adapt. The body's amazing. I, mm-hmm. I, it blows my mind all the time what our bodies can do. But instead of the fact that, you know, you have these movements that are bad that you're doing, it's that you just didn't give your body time to adapt. And I think it's that message we have to continue to spread. You know, one of our topics down the road is going to be like, um, I think we have like sports specification training, stuff like that. Um, I think that, I think it depends on, I don't totally disagree with you, but I think it depends upon what's going on. Like what, how egregious is the movement fault that's taking place when somebody's, and I'll just stay squatting or picking or deadlifting, picking something up off the ground and tying it into your spine. Like if a kid, and my son Connor is a great example of this. If he defaults into of lumbar spine flexion because his hit, he lacks hip mobility to squat down. He consistently, number one, he doesn't actually do it right. He doesn't hit the proper depth. He just can't. 
and he's trying to compensate by leaning too far forward his spine. I feel like I feel like I can and should correct that through hip mobility and teaching him proper hip openers, you know, ways to ways to basically posterior shift in there to add, you know, take care of some of that biomechanical component, you know, and get him on the right path. And I think even with some adults, if you catch it early enough and they're committed enough, they can get there. I feel like I'm, I'm kind of in that classification as well, because I used to go through sequences after, you know, I talked about my first back injury uh, last week and, and how for about every six months I would go back and I'd get some back spasms when I'd return to squatting. And I just refused to deadlift because every time I do it, it hurt my back instead of really taking the time to humble myself and re rebuild it all back. So I waited and did that when I was like 32 or 33 and I started learning more about it and actually have, and taking the time to like video record myself from different angles, especially lateral views and learning, okay, this is what I'm doing wrong and I need to correct it. And then some, some pre and post it's, it's pretty remarkable what you can change in your, in your own body with the right feedback. So I think there's a, there's a scale to it. I think you're right. You're going to default like running, especially is so repetitious. If you think of every step being a rep, I mean, they're taught you're taking, you know, 10 to 15,000 reps every time somebody goes for a distance run and they might not have, they might not look the prettiest, but they might be just completely fine. So I think that's a little different beast altogether. But when you're talking about um, moving a heavy weight and putting those type of forces on, um, I feel like it's incumbent on us to maybe look at corrections where we can. Yeah, I think there is definitely a biomechanical advantage to lifting certain ways. I mean, if your whole goal is to move a heavy weight, short distances, um, there's a better way to do it. Um, yeah. It's just and, how do you and there's get no that perfect message job. to somebody? Yeah, and I'm not saying there's a perfect way. No. You know, because everybody's hip anatomy is a little different, but there's, there's, there's certainly some common some common approaches that have served mm -hmm. a great number of high level athletes very, very well. And I think that those are the, those are the keys and the paths you want to share with those, you know, emerging athletes. And, and then even your other community, because really a Florida waist lift, like I've said for years, Florida waist lift is just a deadlift. Mm -hmm. So you, you get the big air out of the room. You kind of use that terminology with people. I've, I've used the term deadlift with like 75 year old female patients um, who've recovered from back pain as well. So we're going to learn how to deadlift. And their eyes get really buggy, but <clears throat> you just kind of chuckle with them and you say, well, I'm just going to, we're just going to work on recorrecting some of these habits so that you're not, you know, defaulting into those same issues. And if you do it enough times, the idea should just be that that becomes your new default pattern, but it takes a lot of work to get through it. Yeah. I think it all comes down to, yeah, finding ways for people just to do things comfortably. And then mm -hmm. how do you change that message? Because, you know, somebody will come in, let me see lifters and things, you know, it's like, show me your deadlift. And nowadays they, they all film themselves lifting anyway. So that's super easy. They're like, yeah, check yeah. out this TikTok video of me squatting <laughs> 400 pounds. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes they do it really well. And you're like, okay, well, Sarah mm -hmm. Sourman says your back shouldn't hurt anymore. So I don't know. So like for me, it's all about, yeah. Like you said, there's common patterns that seem to work for most people. Let's start there. Yeah. Yeah. And again, um, you're, you're, you're mentioning Sar Shirley Sarman. And I think that there's, <laughs> I mean, we could really piss off some people if, if we have any PTs listening <laughs> out there on, you know, I have some other beliefs that some other groups that um, like to drink their own Kool-Aid pretty, <laughs> pretty routinely and they create. So again, I'm not about creating 
a, a fear of, of moving, right? Yeah. Like you have to do it absolutely mm-hmm. this one particular way or else you're just going to blow your back up. Yeah. I, I don't think that exists either. Um, but you got to be able to move like this. So I had back-to-back evals yesterday afternoon and um, my second one. So, and I got a kind of a common thing with both that I want to share, but um, they're both males are both kind of getting into middle age. One's 45, one's 54. And the guy with back pain, um, you know, he was talking about how he can, he can bend forward and has no issue. He can bend back and have no issue most of the time, but every now and again, it bothers me. I said, well, that's, that's kind of life. You should be able to, you should be able to flex forward in the spine. You should be able to mm-hmm. extend backwards in the spine. You should be able to rotate. You should be able to side bend. Um, you just don't want to live in any one of those, right? If your forward flex too much, it puts too much, you know, um, force on your spine and, you know, you, let's just stay away from the biomechanical stuff because I know that's divisive and, you know, a little debatable anymore, or it used to yeah. be, oh, you got to create posterior disc protrusions, stuff like that. <laughs> I think that's been debunked a little bit, yeah. but either way, maybe it just puts too much. You just, your erectors are firing way too much because they're fighting gravity, right? Mm-hmm. That could be. Um, but anyways, I, like I told him, I, I believe you just got to be able to move between all those patterns and, but not live there, be able to be a little more neutral. Yeah, that's a super common theme. And as we talk about, you know, when you get into a subjective with your persistent back pain patients, you know, what are what are those questions you ask them to see what their beliefs are? I think that's big, um, you know, and I think sometimes they're hard questions to have. Motivational interviewing is powerful, but I think most therapists feel weird asking it. And I see that common theme with students and when students come back from clinicals too is, a lot of PTs out there want to be very directing the care and telling the patient, like, this is why you hurt because you bend forward too much. You know, mm-hmm. I listened to what you said and this is what's going on versus, you know, why do you think you still hurt? You know, I, I think that's a powerful question for people, <laughs> you know, and it's Casey, that's exactly what I was getting at. So my first guy's knee pain. If, he's the he's the 54 year old and then the 45 year old's got back pain some shoulder pain both of them and so this is just <clears throat> i know it's not a huge track record but it was so great to hear with both of them i asked that question like what do you think's bringing this on right because they both are fairly idiopathic and very cyclical mm-hmm. um they both said well i need to lose at least 30 pounds and i'm like whoa magic formula right there because they're both, then they're both correct. One, one guy probably could lose about 60. Um, and we talked through that, you know, like, and, and obviously if you lose 30, 40, 50 pounds, a lot of that knee pain, a lot of that back pain goes away too. And I said, it's not just for the weight itself, but I, you know, it changes your anthropomorphics change too. Your, your, your hips become wider when you're more obese. And then they create, you know, more straining angles. I do believe that like you, I mean, I strongly believe that <clears throat> as far as, you know, um, regional interdependence and way things factor in with each other. But love the fact that they both acknowledged they were overweight or obese, and that was a strong contributing factor to their underlying causes. And in neither one did, was it like, a, neither one was like a default excuse to like, okay, I'm just stuck with this. It was more like, I, I need to stay committed on a program. I'm actually lose some weight. And then I encourage that. You know, whereas, you know, even 10 years ago, I might've shied away from that topic as much. Like, oh, let's not make you feel bad. Wherever that, where that comes from, you know, I'm just, I'm going to treat your pain and, and then get you on your way because it's out of my scope to even talk about your weight. And now that's, isn't it cool how much that's dramatically shifted? 
that's uh, a big factor. And I guess, yeah, we could go back and forth on how weight affects load and yeah, regional independence and alignment and things like that. But I, I think one thing that rings true in that statement, regardless of what you believe about the biomechanics is that most people with persistent pain, um, it's behavior and it's mindset. There, there's something about losing weight, um, just that mindset change of getting some aerobic activity, eating healthy, sleeping better, like all these environmental contextual factors for patients is such a big factor. I mean, if you want to use the weight loss as the reason, the driving force, yeah, perfect. I, I think that's valid. But I think just the fact that they're starting to change their mindset on how their body operates and how they can feel better and creating positive habits, uh, uh, you know, and that, that yeah. sometimes is hard for the patients to understand if you just go from a like total contextual, like you're changing your mindset about your life and your body. And that's awesome. That's what you need mm -hmm. to do right now. Uh, that's hard. But if you can, you know, wrap it up in this, hey, you're going to look better at the beach, uh, you know, yeah. mindset. I think that's powerful. You know, and you're right. The mindset is the most powerful part of it. You know, all those other pieces are great. And they really are. You need the mm -hmm. physiological benefits of it. You know, I really believe in that. Aside from the aesthetic stuff, like we all, and I think we can all acknowledge that even though there's a shift in, you know, popular culture now and body image and all that stuff, but we need to be healthy too. I, mm -hmm. I really believe that. It's a kind of a dangerous precedent. Um, I would agree. But, but if you, have you ever talked to somebody who's really gone through a, a, a committed body transformation? Like where they've uh, lost, you know, 80, hundred pounds. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to a patient about this the other day. Um, I went through like in grad school, like a 80 pound weight loss. Um, and the interesting part for me in that thing was like body dysmorphia. It just blew my mind. Uh, mm -hmm. as I kept shedding weight, I kept feeling like I was gaining weight. It was the weirdest thing. Like the more weight I lost, the more weight, like I felt I had and to lose. And you were, and you were trying to lose weight. I was, like, I mean, it was, a. Uh, initially it was just, I have no money. The gym was free at college. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't have TV. Where am I going to watch football and basketball? I'll go to the gym, hop on the treadmill. You know, initially mm -hmm. it started with, well, I'll just walk for an hour on the treadmill while I watch the football game. Uh, and just mm -hmm. kind of snowballed, right. I started to lose weight. I felt better uh, physically, you know, and I thought it was yeah. cool. Like I was never a runner in my life. And all of a sudden I'm running 15, 20 miles, you know, um, and it just snowballed and then it became a weight loss thing. Like, let's see how far I can go. Right. Uh, I think a lot of us, um, in our profession, anyways, like to push our bodies in some way, shape yeah. or form, you know, whether it's mentally yeah. push yourself, physically push yourself. So it became this thing where I was like, let's see how much weight I can lose. Um, probably to the point where on my second clinical, I almost started to kind of dive into exercise anorexia a little bit oh okay yeah yeah where it was like oh man i you know i i had 300 calories for lunch today like i i gotta hit you know an extra three miles tonight um mm. and yeah. it was so weird i i got down to the point where like you know you could see my ribs yeah you know like yeah, so you're that, getting down there yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you know if you look from me from behind it wasn't muscle it was just ribs you saw and scapula and and, and to me, if you would have asked me, I probably would have told you at that time, man, I'm still, man, if I can get down another 20, you know, yeah. like that was my mindset. It was crazy. So I, that's a bad example of that. You yeah. Know? 
I was going for something more positive, but <laughs> yeah. thank you for putting um, <laughs> the storm cloud of sadness around. Yeah, <laughs> well, it, it just totally opened my eyes to body dysmorphia because yeah. I, I don't know. It was weird. No, you're I, right. looked at, I looked definitely... at the mirror and people mm-hmm. told me I looked ill. And I thought yeah. like, man, yeah, I look ill because I'm so overweight still. Yeah, so it was weird. <clears throat> yeah, you could definitely take it too far. Um, mm-hmm. Where I was going to go with it is I, I've known a couple <laughs> people, my, my mom included, who after the passing of our grandfather about 11 years ago, she had dropped about almost 50% of her body weight Wow, and then, and then maintained it. And then some other individuals that I've known who either had like lap band surgery and stayed committed to it and had done successfully. Where I'm going with that is it creates this like a whole nother level of confidence though. So you, you've basically failed the majority of your life. You failed to achieve this goal. And the goal of being like healthy or look aesthetically pleasing to the opposite sex, whatever it is, you know, with some combination of that. And you've more than likely tried and failed um, at numerous approaches. And then you finally, you kind of, as you were describing your story, it seems like you kind of fell backwards into it. Like just something mm. started happening. And yeah. Yeah. It wasn't who, a conscious behavioral change yeah. decision per se. It just snowballed. I mean, it, yeah. So, Going back to all those psychosocial factors that we were alluding to, when you have that commitment, you're going through it. I think you see it just adds a whole otherworldly level of confidence, not just in the fact that now they know that they can they can control their appetite a little bit better than they thought they could. You know, they they can get up and, and work out every morning where you thought I was never going to be that person and I was always just going to sleep in more. So that and that spills over in everything else um, that you're doing. You know, whether it, it, it spills over into the mastery of your own body, like, can I overcome this or do I need somebody else to fix it for me? You know, I, I think that that that's very powerful. I've been through, you know, cycles myself, mm-hmm. just through being done with sports and messing around with my body and just trying different things. Um, it's kind of like you, like it started out really fun. And I think about seven years ago, well, Michelle and I were on this, uh, you know, kind of a good challenge, good nature challenge. And I, I dropped about 35 pounds and then before I do it, it turned into 40 and I was below 200 pounds for the first time since, uh, I really say since like I was a freshman in high school, um, because I'm not going to count like cutting in college, I'd cut to 197, but you don't really live there. You make it for like, you know, an hour and then you're back over 200, but, um, such a healthy way to live. (laughs) Oh, it really was. (laughs) uh, Spitting into a cup and not drinking for like a whole day. Yeah. So back when I was fitting, when I was in the kind of the end of that one, because you're right, it does become addicting it, um, and you're not always living in it. You know, you're, you don't always are aware of that, I guess. And Michelle would tell me over and over, she's like, God, you're too skinny. You're too skinny. And now when I look, I look back at pictures and it was only for about maybe two months that, where I was at this like real lowest, of, like low weight. And you're right. My eyes were sunken really in. It's amazing what that does to like your, your orbitals, like how much weight loss just affects that. And my cheeks were really prominent and yeah, I didn't like the way I looked now, you know, especially. Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of also learn to land on, okay, what's my healthy walking weight? What, what do I feel most comfortable at? Yeah. And that allows level. me to do stuff. Plus I'm a meathead enough where I went, I think what really pushed me as much as anything at the time I went back to the gym i was doing a lot of distance running doing a lot of halves back then and um went back into the gym to lift some weights and i was like just struggling to, to squat like 225 and struggling to bench the same you know and i was like 
crap, I got to get, got to get some muscle back on. And then I just rebounded that. I think I put on like 40 pounds over the next <laughs> two years, in like muscle and with a little bit of chub. Yeah. It's amazing yeah. what your body, like you have this like preset, you know, number that your body likes to be at and yeah. you know, it, you got to live there a long time to reset that. And, you know, I, I, I luckily never hung out that was like 160 at my smallest, you know, um, I never hung there long enough to really reset my thermostat to that level. But I think the breaking point for me and my wife was like one morning I put her pants on. I'm like, <laughs> hey, look, I can fit into your pants. Isn't that cool? And she's like, that's yeah. not cool at all. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. I, you know, that started the gears turning. Like I wore a small shirt, like my shirt side was small. And I was like, you know, like the numbers don't small? add up, right? Like, I feel so overweight still. And I'm wearing like a size 26 waist with a small shirt. I was like, wow. I can say I've never, never been down that low. Yeah. It was weird. And like I said, I was 160 pounds. So it's not like I was that small. Mm -hmm. Um, But I mean, I was, you know, but 160, you know, a lot of it is just like you said, your, your body changes when you're big. So I had this bone structure of a 240 pound person. Mm-hmm. you know, at 160 pounds. So even though I still, you know, yeah. my BMI was, you know, at 160, I was probably in the range of healthy, Yeah. but just based on everything else, you know, organ size was probably bigger. Bone size was bigger just from yeah. being big for, I mean, I've been, at that point, I'd been probably over 200 since, you know, sophomore year of high school. So, you know, my body had adapted to being that big and then you pull off all that weight and this is interesting, but yeah, we kind of burned through our, our back topic again, but that's all right. Yeah. I think it was a good conversation, but we'll, we'll, we'll wrap spine. it up it just, today. It all our... just ties to the spine. It's, it's maybe, I don't think we're too far off. Maybe that's just me trying to pat ourselves on the back. But the, <clears throat> at the end of the day, it's not just one thing. I think we've expressed that repeatedly. I mean, it takes a whole life. There's a whole lifestyle change that needs to take place if you really want to master it and take control of it. Yeah, I think persistent pain, whether it's uh, subacromial impingement syndrome, rotator cuff pain syndrome, patelloformal pain syndrome, uh, nonspecific low back pain, whatever scary name you want to give this stuff. Um, yeah, I think it all comes down to environmental factors, contextual factors on top of those physical structures. I think we maybe swung a little too far into the like... Uh, getting away completely from nociceptive and neurogenic pain. I, I think we need to remember those are still structures there that are pain yeah. generating. Um, yeah. We maybe shifted a little too far, but anyways, yeah. I, I think that's, you know, it's a conversation we're going to continue to have because there's lots of good topics on treatment and, you know, we talk about surgery candidates and things. So we'll cover that stuff in the future, yeah. um, but we'll wrap her up today with our top five. So today top is top five movies that are better the second time around we didn't give ourselves as much criteria on this so for me I, I truly went with movies that were significantly better the second time i watched them um, mm-hmm. but didn't necessarily have to be movies that maintain that <laughs> yeah uh, movies yep. on my list it was make I watched it the second time. It was way better. And that was all I ever needed to see that movie versus some movies, you know, just consistently get better over time. I, yes. I think a lot of, which comedies. is another topic. Yeah. So that's going to be another topic. It's going to be like down the road. I have you know, another top five would be most, I think what you're talking about most re- easily rewatchable films. Yeah. So, so it's a little different. You're right. It's just, 
Like and it could be different criteria. I have in my top five, <clears throat> I actually had about 11 movies written out mm-hmm. yesterday. I was like going through them last night with my wife, Shell. And I have different reasons as to why they were better a second time as well. Can be, can be just a plot surprise that mm-hmm. allows it to make more sense. But some in, in other cases, it could just be like you actually, well, I'll get into that one again. Yeah. Yeah, I would say yeah. my my list definitely has a theme. Um, you'll see it. <laughs> oh. um, but like I said, it's it, we'll just we'll just roll into it. I'll start with mine. You know, when we talk about like my honorable mentions, you know, a lot of comedies fall into this thing. I didn't feel like any of them made my top five, but if we're looking at comedies that were significantly better the second time I watched them, um, to make honorable mention for me would have been Napoleon Dynamite and stepbrothers uh two movies that maybe initially i didn't like that much and uh the second time around it just it clicked a lot more um and then you just enjoyed it more but so Mm -hmm. those didn't make my list just because i felt like they weren't significantly better the second time and they were a slow burn movie that maybe the fourth or fifth time they were like yeah i know every line now and i can just sit and giggle but my number five on the list will be my first Christopher Nolan on my list. <laughs> on my list, but not my last. Uh, number five on my list would be from 2006, The Prestige. Uh, just a cool movie. I saw it in the theaters. I knew nothing about it when I went to see it in the theaters. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know what it was about. I didn't even know it was about magicians when I went to see it. My buddy's like, hey, we're sitting around playing Nintendo Wii. Um, you know, like, hey, let's go do a movie, you know, I'm bored and so I went to it and it like my mind was was open to it it was just a cool movie i think the ending ending was cool because like it brings in this mysticism um with hugh jackman's character and tesla mm-hmm. and you're like oh man this is crazy that you, know, re- you know the reveal at the end is like oh he's he's not using magic you know it's just a stupid trick i yeah. can't believe you you know didn't fall for it and they gave you all these hints along the way in the movie that mm-hmm. like Christian Bale's character is a twin and you just don't notice it. And then you watch it the second time. Um, You know, this movie is five on my list because it's not like that crazy of a a thought process. And when you go back and watch the movie, I don't think it changes how you see the movie. But watching it the first time, you're just so into trying to figure this out and you think there is some sort of mystical thing. And then the second time through, I, I just got to watch their performance and really appreciate as actors what um, Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman did in the movie. And it, it just was so enjoyable the second time through. Um, and yeah, I just, great performances. Michael Caine was just awesome. He's always awesome. I mean, he's just, he's just sitting there, you know, in the background knowing everything. And He's been like just about, just about every Nolan film since then. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I probably could have did a top five of just his movies, but same here, same here. And <clears throat> as you're talking, I'm almost like, God, we need to move away from a top five format and count down to just say, like, who's on your list, and then we can just jump in. Because yeah, so many times I want to piggyback off what you're talking about. But uh, my honorable mention was Step Brothers. Oh, okay. uh, and, and the reason the criteria for Step Brothers in this case is I actually truly really enjoyed it the hell out of it the first time we went to it in the theater. But because of the theater experience, you miss so many of the give and take dialogue lines. And I remember when it came out, you know, what a DVD 
you know, whatever, six, seven months later, we watch it again. And you pick up on so many lines you missed and it's even better. So that was my criteria for that one. There's no big twist or anything like that that you get better. It's not layered. It's just funnier because you missed stuff the first time in that audience experience. So loved it. Um, very rewatchable film as well. I, I don't know why. <laughs> yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, my number five is my first Christopher Nolan film. Uh-huh. It is Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also just truly loved it the very first time I saw it. However, seeing it again um, later on when it came out, you pick up on so many more of the layers and the details to the story that, you know, you're, you're because it's a sci-fi film, and you're you're ingrained you're kind of engrossed in so much of the you know the the special effects and and kind of the theatrics that go with it you miss some of the more nuances of it um i I think it it definitely has grown with me over time really truly love it love the the fact it's centered around i mean you you have this huge sci-fi idea of the world ending and needing to find a place for humans continue to exist but at the same time, there's like this real heart of the movies, like his relationship with his daughter. However, you, you could also make the weird argument, that like, why does he you know, really care about his son? I mean, <laughs> it's just like there. Yeah, there, was, there was some things about that movie that I, I thought was really good. And maybe I do need to go back and rewatch it. You know, you'll see a lot of, the, you know, my movie watching career, like once Netflix was a thing, Netflix was a thing, my amount of rewatching movies has significantly dropped and interstellar is probably one of those that fell into that for me i watched it once and it just didn't trigger with me like desire to watch it again um you know i i think near the end uh, and maybe i should watch it again because i don't really understand what's going on but you know he goes into whatever the fourth dimension or whatever totally. he's, like in the bookshelf and i'm like what is happening here? I don't even know. That, like... <laughs> even the second time, it doesn't make it doesn't make a whole lot more sense. Second time, okay. but it's more digestible because you pick up on like a little bit of maybe how he's communicating with his younger daughter, with his daughter, and stuff like that. Um, definitely some huge concepts, and I yeah. think in between too, I should be I should acknowledge in between. I watched this really cool documentary on how they made it and how they how they brought in all these theoretical astrophysicists mm. um, from around the country to really try to make it as plausible as possible. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, wow. So they really, they really tried to follow as much science as you can, but then you're all of a sudden you're in the bookshelf and there's like, um, <laughs> like plaid patterns and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah, that, that um, got me a little bit. Cause I do like, <clears throat> I'm not like a huge astrophysics nerd or anything, but I think, just the time relativity is such an interesting concept to me. Interesting but, concept. And on that yeah. note, like just uh, they're like on par with meteorologists too, because talk about a career <laughs> where you never necessarily have to be correct. You just have a belief in something. You know, <laughs> yeah, like right. I think like, this is well, with as, yeah, theoretical astrophysicists, they just, well, I, I believe space is this far. I believe we're all this far away, but, but nobody could ever really prove it. Yeah. That's a lot of things that at least it's now we don't have driven to be- and, capabilities yeah. to test right like yeah. i ran it through the system it seems like it works well, that's 326 million miles away give or take <laughs> yeah right yeah. Who's, gonna, who's gonna be like no it's not it's, yeah. like, oh, i believe at the end of the universe there's a magical unicorn dragon that runs everything go ahead and God. prove me wrong yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah moving on the list uh yeah interstellar that's a good one i i should rewatch it my number four from 2001 uh, is a little more of an independent movie called Donnie Darko. 
Um, it's super cool movie about fate, predetermined destiny. Um, you know, there's this creepy rabbit. If you've ever seen the cover, like <laughs> yeah. throughout the movie, you're wondering what the heck's going on. I think this movie's a little lower on my list, just based on like it kind of lays it out for you as the movie goes. You know, if you're perceptive enough, you kind of see where it's going. It, it's not. I don't think you're necessarily surprised by the ending. You are a little bit, but it's not as much of a surprise. But the second time through, again, I think your headspace is a little better for it. You're not so... Because it's kind of a weird movie. Like, the acting's yeah. weird. Yeah. Jill and Hall's kind of weird in it. Um, yeah, he's... Yeah, yeah, he wasn't really... You know, he wasn't necessarily a likable uh, main character in the movie. I don't know if anybody in the movie was overly likable, which is maybe why it's a good movie, because it's realistic, but... Um, but yeah, the it's definitely I enjoyed it. I've watched it multiple times just because I like that thought process, that thought experiment of like, are we in charge of ourselves? Is it all just going to happen no matter what we do? So it's an interesting movie. It's my number four. I think the acting was good. I think the idea was good. Application wasn't good enough to get into my top three. I I, <clears throat> I would interesting sort of Donnie Darko because I I got into that in the college phase and you know really super dug it when it came out really like it again and back back then i think you mentioned netflix changing that i think just as you grow up we don't have the same time abilities to like rewatch films over and over mm -hmm. um i think but i re i re-engaged it like a year ago during covid and um with our with my son connor and i got through the whole thing and i'm like hmm i didn't like it as much as i used to like mm -hmm. and i saw more more holes in it so that's like another topic we come up with, like a movie that's maybe like not as good as you remembered it or something like that but, um yeah just because it, one of those movies is like a college kid you're like oh man this is mind-blowing and i would agree deep. with you yeah. i would say after probably about the third or fourth watching uh, you know I, it started to lose it luster it was definitely yeah. like i said based on this criteria it would hit my list but it's probably a movie now i i would not have much desire to rewatch because you're yeah. right there is a lot of holes in it and interesting it's... concepts but it's like he couldn't really yeah he just couldn't really finish the deal with some mm -hmm. of those concepts in my yep. opinion totally you know? agree. like what it so... was the what it was the, like the wormhole abyss like you know liquid wormhole through the chest leading him <laughs> yeah. around like i just inserts that and... yeah, is it destiny is that what the wormhole is all right yeah. i mean there's so it leaves it too open-ended in some ways but too concrete in others so yeah, like I said, why, great, great why second watch, but yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> for time's sake, we better move on. Yeah, um, my number four is Office Space, another comedy. Mm. It's the final comedy on my list. A little different than Step Brothers, just because I think it was how old I was when it first came out. Um, very dry, right? So, and I wasn't, oh, yeah. and I hadn't really worked. You know, I, you hadn't really been out um, in the real world you know, to really identify like what he's getting at. Right. I was a little too young to understand those concepts. And then a couple of years later, I got into it um, towards kind of the midpoint of college and love the hell out of it. Still do. Um, so much of it holds up really, really well. Um, but yeah, initially the first time seeing it, I don't know if I laugh more than like twice. Yeah. It's not a know? laugh out loud movie per se. Yeah, like, I mean, there's no, yeah. And then it just builds yeah. right. Uh, Mike Judge, I, I I would say Idiocracy falls that same formula. Like you watch it and you're like, mm -hmm. eh. uh, he didn't really yeah. hit it. And then you watch it two or three times and you're like, oh man, 
Like it all yeah. wraps together. So yeah, like the, that's a like good the first one time we sure. watch. Yeah, first time you see it, like you can. I remember laughing at the Deidre Bader character, the neighbor. Yeah. I mean, he that was just funny. He, he's just making fun of a redneck guy who's very simple, you know. Mm-hmm. But what's cool about it by the end of the day, he's he's not all that bad, right? He's kind of showing like there's there's some points to life where you don't need to keep you know chasing up the keep flying up the corporate rungs and ladder if you're just happy with what you're doing. You're content being outside, getting some fresh mm-hmm. air, and contributing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all every he day, needs. Man. All he needs, man, two chicks, one time. Right? <laughs> That's what he'd do if he had a million bucks. Yeah. <laughs> like that was happiness for him, right? But like, yeah, like <clears throat> the final lines of that movie, it's like F and A, man. <laughs> yeah yeah it's no that's definitely one uh i would have to reconsider on my list a little harder i just went i went away from comedies maybe too much because that is a really good choice that's my number four all right my number three makes the list just because of i don't know story is really good but the, the filming style is so cool that I think the first time rolling through it, you don't appreciate it. Um, it's not like a mega hit, but it's one of those you've got, movies. You've got your hooks in me. What is I it? <laughs> 2010, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, um, yeah. I, I'm, I, I grew up, I was a video game kid. This movie was filmed. You know, it's a real movie, but it's got like all these video game undertones and rock music undertones. And I think the first time you watch it, it's just like this visual overload. I mean, they're overlaying video game stuff you know he's got hit points and there's coins popping up and it's just really well filmed um and i just don't think you appreciate it the first time through the second time through you can just soak the whole thing in and just get all those little pieces it's a really entertaining movie um again it's one of those that maybe three four watches in you start to notice the points in that movie that drag on you know once you've gotten over the luster of like how cool it's filmed and the idea of it it does drag on a little bit. It's not a huge repeat watcher for me, but I would say the second, third time I watched it, like I watched it the first time and I had to go out and buy it on Blu-ray. Yeah, that's back in the day. Um, Blu-ray, yeah. It's just, the DVD wasn't good enough, man. I, yep. need, I needed this sucker in clarity. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's my number three. It's just, if you haven't seen it, it's cool just to watch how it was put together. Good flick, good flick. Um, my number three is, and it's the first of this final trend. You're going to see this in all of them. Um, it's Shutter Island uh, mm. from about 2010. DiCaprio, I think Scorsese directed that one. I believe so. Um, Scorsese's like first foray really into like thriller horror. Mm-hmm. But here's here's where I'm going with this. It's my first, my final three will all have a trend of like where the twist at the end of the movie makes the film better when you go back and rewatch mm-hmm. it, and it makes it more understandable. And as opposed to movies that almost get too cute with the twist at the end that really just piss you off because you wasted two hours of your life. <laughs> Apparently none of it mattered. Yeah, but like just the, jam the ending into your uh, face. I'm going to give you two examples, bro. <laughs> two movies that still just piss me off to this oh, day. Oh God, I hope they're not on my list. Ocean's 12. Okay. Cause yeah, I love, that's... I love, and I love Ocean's 11 and Ocean's 13, but Ocean's 12, where you get through the whole movie and you find out, Oh, they stole the fabric, Fabergé egg at the very beginning and everything you just watched, none of it mattered. Pointless. And it was filmed like completely different than the other movies tried to be this artsy thing. Oh, and then I'm going to say my other 12. one, I'm, I'm going to give you my other one and then I'll explain like really, really why that even pissed me off anymore. Because now I see me or now you see me. 
Okay. Where at the end you find out Mark Ruffalo has been pulling all the strings and orchestrating it and everything like that. Interesting. Ruffalo is also in Shutter Island. You should have just stuck to that. One. <laughs> um, but what it presupposes is that who's ever masterminding all this, they know 100% unequivocally how every character is going to react to a given situation. Mm. And, and they just let the dominoes fall and, and everything's going to work out according to their master plan. And it, it just, it's, it's trying to be too cute. It's robbing the audience of anything that they've just really watched for that time, you know, and all those little twists and turns and stuff like that happen within the film. And then at the end, you're like, Oh, by the way, you know, none of it really mattered because this guy was really pulling all the strings or, or like in oceans 12, like they already did the whole thing. And so then why would you go through the, all the problems and the hassle of like recreating another egg and trying to get the French guy to, go and steal it and follow down that thing. Why wouldn't you just take it and be done with it? <laughs> yeah. No, Maybe we're more work than it necessarily <laughs> feels. Through all these, uh, get guys arrested, stuff like that, get them off the hook. And I mean, it's just, it's so Im- Im- implausible and just foolish. Yeah, so Shutter Island does not do those things. No, yeah, better movie. Better movie. Better movie, with the exception of maybe you could argue like, okay, why would they let him you know, continue to pretend that he's, you know, still like solving mystery, but but you know we do that. You can, but in a plausibility standpoint, we do that with dementia. Do let people live where they believe they're living. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean it's it's oh, that's a good movie. Film great. Uh, DiCaprio's awesome. Um, I just I don't know. Creepy. There was it was super creepy. The atmosphere was great. That movie just didn't <laughs> click with me though. I felt like again, like you said, Scorsese's first foray into it. I felt like a lot of the creepiness was forced. Um, mm-hmm. and like I thought I was like being told I should be like creeped out and scared in that movie more than I actually needed to be and then you get to the end and you get the twist and you're like oh okay I get it big it twist too yeah I don't know it didn't the twist didn't hit me that hard I was like at some point I don't know you just started to feel like this guy was going insane and that's surprise yeah i mean it's not it's less that he's insane he's in, i think it's finding out like what drove him there well yeah to me anyways yeah. um no it's it's a good How movie it was, your, yeah. it was on my short list for sure when you talk about uh things that piss you off on this list from the similar thing i feel the same way with like the saw movies it's like i don't know you set all this stuff up and like and then they keep shoehorning it every movie afterwards. Like, oh, look how smart oh. we were. Like, we knew this gotcha. stuff in movie one and movie six. And it's like, no, you didn't. You just reworked the movies to matter. And so. you guys made money, so you kept, yeah. Yeah, you, you like that. stole all the luster from the first movie, which would have made my short list too, and just ruined oh, it. I, you know what? I didn't even think of the first one. And and full disclosure, in its entirety, the first Saw is the only Saw movie I've ever seen in its entirety. Yeah. And you know, the rest of them I've seen probably, parts and I'm, Probably I'm sufficient. not a big fan of that genre where it yeah. went, you know, with like the torture porn genre. Mm. Um, but the first one, awesome twist though. Still yeah. a little implausible, you know. Oh, it gets worse as you get into. I bet I'm a horror guy, so I've seen like every now it's five times. <laughs> so you mean like now there's three dead guys on the floor that are all gonna like <laughs> yeah. not be dead? It turns out the mouse the whole time was the killer hiding at the corner. Oh. So. <laughs> so moving on to number two. On my list, my second Christopher Nolan movie from 2000. Also, really, my introduction to Christopher Nolan was Memento. Mm-hmm. Guy Pierce, Carrie on Mass, Joel Pantleone. Um, ah, man, that movie was awesome. Still to this day, I can watch that movie. 
Um, you know, even, even if you know everything, I think the acting is cool. It starts out crazy, finishes crazy, the buildup the whole time. Um, and, you know, on second watches, even like the stories of, uh, I'm probably going to slaughter the character, but Sammy Jenkins, where, where he talks about the guy who's got the memory loss and he's given his wife <laughs> insulin injections and, and she ends up dying because he doesn't remember. Um, you know, when they flash back, like that's probably Leonard, right? That, that probably happened to him. Um, they never come out and say it explicitly, but like just seeing that emotion on his face, um, Joey pants is just awesome. He's just a cool guy. He brings so much energy to that movie. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah. just the setup. I don't know. It, is it plausible that level of retrograde amnesia is pretty rare, yeah. but, um, the, the thought experiments crazy and the pictures and the tattoos and, little things you know and he's having the flashback of you know successfully finding out his wife's killer and you know the blank spot on his chest says we did it or whatever like i mean just little cool things like that throughout that whole movie uh i love that movie my mind was blown when i saw it um yeah so i fancy myself a, i fancy myself a strong christopher nolan fan i've never seen memento in its entirety oh my goodness that's <clears throat> i know i know I, I'm gonna have to end this. this is, I, I fully understand that if I saw the movie fully from start to finish, it would probably be on my list. But because I haven't, I couldn't put it on there. I've yeah, seen it. Yeah. You know, it's one of those that I've, I picked up on a TV. But mm. I got into him a little bit later. I actually got into Nolan as the next film Insomnia. Mm. Uh, but I never got it. Never fully completed Memento. But I know every, as you're talking about it, I've read everything about like yeah. you know, what makes it so good, and I just got I just got to watch it. Yeah, it's it's a hit, man. It's a hit. It's uh, not to reveal too much on my list, but it's my number one Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. I mean, it's I don't know if he he ever did anything as good since. So, well, my number two, uh, that's and that's yeah, you're fair to have that opinion because my number two <laughs> is The Prestige oh, from okay. 06. Um, a film that, and probably because the first time I was leaning, first time I watched it. I enjoyed it, but I still, at the end, I lend in when I was just complaining about a moment. Like, I'm like, oh, I think it's trying to be a little too cute, you know? The difference with this one, again, is that he executes it so much better. So you go through a second time, and once you know that there's that Christian Bale truly is a twin, mm-hmm. it's like, wow, okay. So many little things you pick up on, and you're trying to identify. And then you play a little game with yourself. You're like, which one's which, right? Which scenes is he this brother, and which mm-hmm. scenes is he the other brother, right? And the only thing that still like maybe I don't totally get is the, the cloning of Hugh Jackman, but <laughs> yeah, it, it almost makes up for it because it plants that really dark question of like, God, he is really, how ethical is this guy? Who's always, you're watching this and you think he's like kind of the hero. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, it, it totally it changes at the end. And, and you're like, wait, God, he's sadistic. He's like killing all these clones of himself, you know, just to like <laughs> compete as a magician. So. And then storing them, like just throw the bodies away. Yeah, being <laughs> <laughs> a serial, serial killer of yourself. Yeah, but great film. That was I know you had it at five. I got it at two. Um, really enjoyable going back and watching that one again. Yeah, so, I love the like. Do you know if you're going to be the clone? Like, do you know if you're going to end up in the tank or not? Like, yeah, Jackman. Like that's that's a pretty wild thought process of like when I step into that machine. Like the end yeah. result of this is one of us is dying. Is it going to be me? You is it is like he says every time, right? Is that what he says? His answer. Yeah. Great performances though. Uh, a strong film. Totally kind of an underrated 
Christopher Nolan film too. I think it gets forgotten about with, you know, neither one of us mentioned Inception. I probably could have mm-hmm. put that on there, but I just enjoyed it too much the first time. Anyways. Yeah. You, you went in by the time Inception came out, you knew Christopher Nolan, you knew you were going to have to sit down and like pull this movie in from start to finish. So yeah. I don't think it's necessarily that much better the second time around. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think you could watch the ending of Inception a million times and still ask yourself the same question you did the first he, time. He made it, he, yeah, he made it right. that way. Yeah. Right? He's even said that. Like, people who try to say, hey, he's still dreaming, oh, he's, he's awake. No, you're like, you don't know. He yeah. made it that way. Yeah, so it, I don't know if it changes it much the second time. So that no. was definitely one, you know, the, the first movie that comes to my head when we did this list. But then I was like, God, you know, it was so good the first time. So yeah. Um, my yeah. number one on my list is not Inception. It's... Uh, a movie that I guess again, as we go through this list, mind blowing. I <laughs> there are so many things in it. I had never even heard of this movie when I watched it. Um, five minutes into this movie, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. There was flashes on the screen. I was pausing my DVD to see, like, was that like, did I blink? Is that weird? Um, in the same movie, I don't know. Nineteen ninety nine. David Fincher Fight Club. It's like impossible not to have it, right? Yeah. I mean, like <clears throat> the first time I saw the big flash on the screen and you pause your DVD and it turns out to be uh, pornography, there's <laughs> place to <laughs> yeah. like, what? what am I doing? I thought here? you were referring to the splicing of Brad Pitt at those oh, sequences. Yeah. It took me later to see those little mm-hmm. things. Like, you're like, oh man, Brad Pitt's in all these scenes. Like, it's so Genius. crazy. Like, yeah. just, and it was filmed awesome. It was dark. You know, David Fincher, I believe it Fincher's already. so good. You'd done seven at that time, I believe, yep. right? So you're coming off of that. You, you thought you knew what you were getting into. This is going to be dark and gritty. And then it's like you're just like watching this story about these two guys like slowly doing nothing, you know? It was like, and then all of a sudden it just steamrolls at the end. And you're like, how did all this stuff happen? Well, this guy's like just kind of hanging out in this dilapidated house. And it's like, wow, well, turns out like you never sleep, man. You're just doing all this crazy stuff and you're you're setting everything up and you watch it again and how characters interact with them. And like when they're in scenes together, how they like maybe ignore like Tyler Durden, even though he's the one talking They're you know, talking to Ed Norton, like you don't notice that stuff the first time through and you're like, Oh man, it's still to this day. And it, for me, this movie is totally rewatchable. I, mm-hmm. I don't think it ever loses its luster. Rest in peace, Meatloaf. Uh, probably his yeah. best movie performance. Um, he is now Robert Paulson in death. His so. name was Robert Paulson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, my my mind was blown when I watched this movie. Yeah. I, I think I was I was in high school when it came out, and yeah, and had it on DVD. Man, I would have bought it on Blu-ray if they had that out at the time. If the technology existed. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, there's probably still stuff in that movie I haven't noticed, but just the setups. Yeah. And, I mean, everything. It's awesome. You can watch so YouTube good. videos all day on crazy yeah. connections of that movie. Obviously, my number one, I'm pissed that you got to go first in order. <laughs> <laughs> you took my thought. Everything you said is correct. I mean, I agree with it. It's, it's a film where if you watch it, you know, you get through to the end and you're like, it's a, like I enjoyed it the first time I saw it and I was just graduating high school and I was like oh this is cool right and then you go back almost immediately I think I rewatched it the next day and you're like this is even better because mm-hmm. you know the twist and and everything you said like the, the way the characters um, kind of react to Ed Norton the way they react to Brad Pitt throughout the film it all makes more sense and he does it just so well also a young <laughs> young Jared Leto Oh, yeah. get it, you know, cut his too teeth. pretty too pretty just gets the hell beat out of him had to ruin something um, beautiful yeah i mean it's such a 
such a good film. Interestingly enough, it just came up in the news. I don't know if you saw that in the last couple of weeks. Apparently, if um, and I don't know why this is now being filmed in China or was released in China now. But oh, yeah, they censored the end. They changed the end to where instead of like the, the bombs exploding and him just watching it to a great pixie song, you know. Oh yeah. Where's um, my mind? Per, where's my mind? For I me, mean, it fits the movie, right? But instead of that, it's <laughs> I guess the screen cuts to black and it says Tyler Durden was arrested uh, by the government. They stopped the bombs from exploding. The end. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I saw that. I was like, that's so crazy. I, don't know, so, we talk I about, almost laughed when I read that. <laughs> talked about censorship off podcasts. It's like, that's so crazy to live somewhere that's like, oh, just this is the end. It's beautifully wrapped up. The, We're going to change this for it. you. Yeah. Yeah. It completely ruins the movie. You know? Yeah. And this movie is kind of cool because the twist, they give you a lot of time to digest the twist before the movie ends. You know, I mean, yep. he literally has to fight himself. I mean, it, it's cool, right? Like, kind of tells oh, you the man. confident, the confidence that Fincher had that it was going to work. Yeah, and right? like, hey, this movie is just a good movie. Like, I don't have to surprise you at the last second with this thing. Like, yep. now you get twenty minutes to sit here and go, "This is crazy," and I want to finish this ride. Like, you know, it yep. doesn't leave a lot of like. <clears throat> now I got to digest what could happen. It's like. He wrapped it up, man. That's one thing none of these movies do great is wrap it up. And I mean, Memento kind of wraps it up, but they wrap it up at the beginning instead of the end. It's kind of weird, but a little different. Yeah. Yeah. So good list, man. I, a lot of, a lot of overlaps this time around. Really cool. Yeah. It was my, probably my biggest list, but you know, yeah. When it comes down to it, good movies, good movies. Definitely. Well, I suppose that kind of wraps it up for another week of PT shop talk. Yeah, I think we'll we'll look at maybe spoiler alert, maybe having a special guest next week, next yep. episode. So surprise, <laughs> stay yeah. tuned. Um, yep. After that, we'll probably resume our back pain talk. You know, we got to get into yep. some treatments and some referral patterns and surgeries, and we we still got a lot of stuff to digest on back pain. So we'll continue that after our special guest. So until next time, see you, everybody. I'm Casey Hansen. I'm Nick Doling. All right. Get better every day, everybody.